0: Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel and MinutemanTickets.com. All your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys.
1: Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
0: Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. New acoustics for this Buckeye Talk as we sit in the Bill Landis kitchen on a large,
2: lovely island with Bill Landis' six-pound dog nearby. Yeah, uh, like 85% chance she starts barking in the middle of the podcast. She, to be fair,
0: is the phrase attacked a correct phrase to use for what happened when I came in your house? Your dog attacked me? That would, I would say that's a little strong. I felt attacked. <laughs> she weighs six pounds, so it didn't hurt. But I She feel... weighs 12 pounds. Really? Thank you very much.
2: Oh, yeah, well, because we feed her a lot of things we shouldn't feed her.
0: She's very small, yeah. and it hurt my feelings a little bit, the way she came after me, but now I know how you feel when my dog attacks you and you come over. <laughs> okay. All right. It's Penn State, Ohio State week. We have a million things to talk about. We're going to have Bob Flounders from PennLive.com, who covers Penn State, join us later. But um, we'll get to – I don't know. We might get to some reviews and all that stuff. But this is a big week. This is a big game. The podcast is always a little less grab-ass when it's a big game week. Not that much less, but somewhat less. And I would like to begin perhaps with an apology, which I think is always good. Yeah. Because I – often have things that I should apologize for, the ridiculous things that I rant about and go crazy about on this podcast, and sometimes I apologize for them, and sometimes I don't. So I believe I had a tone on the post-game podcast after Tulane, and I believe my tone may have given the impression that if you're worried about the Ohio State defense, what is wrong with you? Relax. Your team will be fine. Is that the impression that I gave in that podcast? 100%. 100%. Okay. I would like to say freak out. Go ahead and freak out because I watched eight minutes of highlights from Penn State, Illinois, and I think the highlights cut out the bad plays. So I only saw the good plays, but all I saw – was Trace McSorley completing 16-yard passes over the middle to the tight end and receivers and everybody else. And all I saw was Trace McSorley and Miles Sanders running zone read and busting through the line and breaking tackles from linebackers and getting to the next level. And I was like, that's going to happen all game.
2: I mean, it was Illinois.
0: Yeah, I know. But that's going to happen all game. They threw a couple deep balls. I know they do that. But all I thought... In watching eight minutes of highlights from Illinois-Penn State was, oh my God, <laughs> how how is Ohio State going to prevent that very same thing from happening? Now, does not mean I think Penn State's going to win, but we just quickly looked at the history of Ohio State-Penn State. Last year's 39-38 game was the first time ever that both teams in this series scored in the 30s. They're both going to score in the 40s in this game. Unless it's a freaking downpour in State College. And I don't know if a storm front gets trapped in the valley between Mount Nittany and Mount something else. And the the lion's roar is echoing off the Appalachians. And in the little valley, there's a storm front and it rains and whatever. I don't know what happens. I don't know whether. But as long as that doesn't happen, 45-42. No one is stopping anyone in this game. Go ahead and freak out. Do you agree with me, Landis?
2: Um, I don't know what I think yet. I I I I've had shoot out of my head since since Saturday. Uh, I think Ohio State's going to score. I, Ohio State's defense has been pretty good against Penn State the last 2 years like with Saquon Barkley and now he's gone. Like the best player, arguably the best player in college football was on Penn State's roster the last 2 years and Ohio State held him in check and like largely held Penn State's offense in check. Now Ohio State's offense is, or defense is different, Penn State's offense is a little different. Um but I'm more more confident in Ohio State's ability to stop Penn State than I am in Penn State's ability to stop Ohio State. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm there with you yet. I think, I think it could be, and maybe by the end of the week that's where I'll be. But at the moment, I feel like if Ohio State can just sort of slow down Penn State's running game a little bit and make Trace McSorley a guy who has to pass from the pocket, which I don't think he's very good at – Um I think they'll be okay. I, like, this is not a Penn State offense that has moved the ball in any kind of significant way against Ohio State the last two years with this quarterback and this offensive system. So I kind of trust Ohio State, and I know that sounds crazy given the struggles we've seen with the defense over the, over the <coughs> first four games, but I think they can be okay. I don't I – don't, I'm not taking much from of what Illinois did and and – translating that to what Ohio State might do, because the talent level is not even worth comparing. Lovey Smith is offended by that. How dare beard. you? He's got a good beard, though.
0: So here's the thing. Um, here's the thing is now that Ohio State is not running the zone read with the quarterback, right, and now mm-hmm. that they don't have that in the offense, and now that they're a, a fabulous, wonderful-to-watch throwing team now when I see another team that runs zone read and then the quarterback and the running back are both legitimate running threats I think to myself oh my god how does anyone ever stop that you don't even know where the ball is it's like magic so I don't know how (laughs) anyone stops Trace McSorley and Miles Sanders I think they should go back the zone read is a wonderful offense why doesn't everyone run it how do they stop it all I saw against Illinois it's like who has the ball I can't tell
2: somebody pops through a whole 12 yard game. And I guess there I mean there was some of that when Ohio State played Tulane. Tulane did not move the ball all that well with any regularity, but there were a couple times where they were running read option and and option stuff in the back backfield and Ohio State's linebackers had a hard time figuring out where the ball was. So, I guess that's out there. It's out
0: there. It's I don't know. I'm freaking out, man. Ohio State yeah. is the third-ranked offense in the country, averaging 599 yards per game. Penn State is 16th, averaging 515 yards per game. Like, of course they're... Well, no, I was going to say, of course they're not putting to both... The, they're going to both do that. They're both going to put up more than 500 yards of offense and more than 40 points. And then we have a question that we'll get to in a minute about level of competition. But... I just – I suddenly felt myself – I know what you said about – so here's your point. Your point is Ohio State's defensive scheme has limited Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley the last two years and did not allow them to just curb stomp Ohio State. As you said, even last year, Penn State – some of Penn State's points came from – came out of things other than the offense. Do you have as much confidence – in this Ohio State defense, as you did the past two years, I think is the question. Do you have as much confidence that the plays that Chris Worley and Jerome Baker made at the second level, Tuff Borland and Malik Harrison and Pete Warner will make those same plays?
2: No, no. I'm more. I'm more trusting the idea. Like I know Greg Schiano at times has gotten criticism and fairly so for his game plans. I just thought that he had a good one for Penn State last year, so I'm trusting that a little bit. But I do not. I think Ohio State's defense might be more talented, maybe not with Nick Bosa, out, but um still very young and prone to making more mistakes i think than last year's defense was. Do
0: you think it's possible Trace McSorley completes 25 15-yard passes over the middle?
2: No. In the heart of this defense. No. He's completing barely over 50% of his passes. Even last like last week, he said he was completing passes like crazy. He threw for 192 yards. Well, I showed them... 58.6% completion percentage.
0: I must have seen them all in these eight minutes of highlights then. Yeah. In the highlight package, the problem is they only put in the good
2: things. Yeah. So what you watched, you was 17 for 17. It was good thing after good thing. In reality, you was 17 for 29. I think they were sandbagging. I think maybe they could do that. Because when the good plays
0: happen, they look so easy. Yeah. I think they probably could have done a good play every single time, and they were holding back to sandbag the Buckeyes. Watch out for that. They you, they were they were losing to Illinois in the third quarter on purpose. Brilliant! Yeah. That's the kind of everyone else is playing checkers, and <laughs> James Franklin Franklin is playing three D chess. He almost played four D chess, and he almost lost to Illinois just to throw Ohio State off the set. Yeah, smart. right. That's what we're talking about. Um, last year, Trace McSorley was seventeen of twenty nine for one hundred and ninety two yards against Ohio State. And he ran 13 times for 49 yards. I was looking at the wrong stats. You were looking at last threw, year?
2: Yeah, he threw for fewer yards against Illinois. He threw for 160 yards against Illinois. So again, he's a quarterback that completes
0: 12 passes a game. How do you defend that? I don't know, man. I am going to write a story, if I get to it later in this week, that he's not Baker Mayfield. He's definitely not Baker Mayfield. He's defi- No offense to Trace McSorley, but no, you are not the Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick in the draft. Yes. He's not going to be planting any flags.
2: He Although he might his- be capable of a crotch grab, and he's definitely undersized and white, and that's where the comparisons end. Now,
0: because that's true, because really, when you're comparing people, as long as you're white and around the same height, what else do you need? Yeah.
2: Right? Um, you think he is capable of a crotch grab? Yeah, I think he is. Are you capable of a crotch grab? No. Really? No, maybe. I'm really <laughs> capable of it
0: why do the magnets on your fridge spell out don't
2: sh blank blank on me uh because i was bored one day and i I did that a long time ago we've been in this house for like a year and a half and i did that like within the first week of us living here and it's still up there yeah is it it's your house motto yes and a reminder for the dog yeah
0: all right get to the question that we want to dig into i I, i'm like 20 percent kidding but not really kidding i just feel like the way the the eight minutes of highlights I saw against Illinois, the way Trace McSorley was completing middle of the field to people that should be covered by linebackers, made me nervous because that still sticks with me. Of that's how to me to me that's how Ohio State lost the last two games. It's lost by teams being able to take advantage of that, yep. and Oklahoma did it, and Iowa did it, and it feels to me like that is something that Penn State would try to do, and. I think it's what we would, everybody would agree is like the thing you're worried about with this team, and it's just have they played any other teams that have maybe had the capability to take advantage of those linebacker issues as much as Penn State could, which gets to this
2: question. From uh, at Bracket Creepin. Oh! He says, uh, Ohio State is 4-0, and but their four opponents have a combined total win, or sorry, combined total of one win over an FBS team. Is competition level a concern when contextualizing Ohio State's success so far, or should we just trust what our eyes are telling us?
0: So listen, Tulane and Rutgers and Oregon State stink. So that's real. I, like the fact, if, if people only want to grab onto the fact that TCU – to us looked like a top 10 team. Urban Meyer said TCU's a top 10 team. And then TCU lost to Texas. So that somehow means that TCU actually isn't good. I think that's faulty reasoning.
2: Yeah, I agree with
0: that. That that if somehow if what what was the TCU Texas score? It was close, it was right?
2: 38-16. No, oh.
0: it wasn't that close. Oh god, they stink. Ohio State's dead. Uh, no. 31-16. The 30, but then if if TCU had beaten Texas, you'd be like, "Wow, they're awesome." And they lost to Texas, Texas might be good too, right? Mm-hmm. Like Texas yeah. has players, so and there's a letdown sometimes, right? TCU, that's that's a hard back to back. I don't know how many times in the history of college football has a team played Ohio State one week and Texas the next. That's a lot of athletes. That's a lot. So I, I, I think it's I think it's unfair and like nobody plays anybody in the early going, right? I mean, it's like oh, so like are you supposed to not take anything that Alabama does into account because Alabama played
2: blank? So far yeah like, i don't I guess Alabama's best opponent is probably a and m you know it's it's kind
0: of how it works, yeah.
2: it's how it works early season college football,
0: so I get it i I don't think that you say uh i i, I don't think you have like just a hundred percent blind confidence in Ohio State, but i would not I would not um downplay what Ohio State has done because I think offensively, I think absolutely everything. Ohio State has done so far will work against Penn State.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think you worry more about sort of how they do things than, than who they're doing it against for the most part. And, and the fact that I think in all four games, maybe not Oregon State, but at least the last three, teams have focused on stopping Ohio State's run game and have been somewhat successful. But Ohio State has had answers via the pass game that it has not had. Um. I don't know, probably, probably in, in the entirety of River Meyer's tenure here, because I don't even think with Cardell Jones in the championship run in 14, it was like this. That was like all Zeke Elliott and then Cardell throwing some jump balls down the field to Devin Smith. And I don't say that to minimize what Cardell did, but I'm just saying like what Dwayne Haskins is doing is a more holistic passing game and, and more difficult to defend and makes you cover the entire width and length of the field. Um, so I would be very confident in their ability to do that against Penn State, even though Penn State is – an uptick in talent, probably overall, than TCU. Although I think I think TCU's defense is better than Penn State's, or at least faster. Um, so I would feel pretty good about the offense based on what we've seen, kind of regardless of who they played. But on the flip side of that, I think you can be concerned about teams with who are supposed to have lesser athletes in Ohio State hitting Ohio State's defense for a couple of big plays. So here's here's the uh, here's
0: what I think about the Ohio State offense, and I'm doing a story. I wanted to get it done on Tuesday. I didn't get it done. It will be up on Wednesday about Dwayne Haskins handling pressure, handling pressure in the pocket when when somebody breaks through the offensive line, right? I think there's some interesting stats there. I'll get into that in the story. That's a tease. Read the story. So I wanted to get a sense um, of maybe what Penn State has done previously. And so I want to watch the 2016 game, or at least part of it. I haven't done that yet. But what I did is I went back and I watched the fourth quarter of last year's game when JT Barrett probably played the best quarter of his life Mm -hmm. at Ohio State and took apart that Penn State defense. And Ohio State was down like two scores with 12 minutes left. And he led them – down the field three times because Ohio State also gave up a score in that period, right? And here's two takeaways from this. And this, if my freaking out worried you earlier, when I freak out, I think one of two things can happen. I think one thing is people can think, God, this guy is ridiculous. And maybe there are a couple people who think, I respect Doug's opinion. I'm going to freak out now also. (laughs) So listen to this if you freaked out. That quarter, Penn State sat back and let JT Barrett pick them apart. They came after him once and got a hit on him with a free blitzer, and he stood in there and completed a pass against the blitz, and the announcers acted like he had climbed Mount Everest. What a brave and heroic thing he had done to stand in against the blitz. It's a very difficult thing to do for a quarterback, but it's the kind of thing that you have to do. The rest of the time, and you can go back. I just watched it on YouTube. You can go back and watch it. The rest of the time, this is what I will tell you about the greatest quarter in JT Barrett's Ohio State life, at least as a passer, okay? It looked like the JV version of what Dwayne Haskins is doing right now. (laughs) He picked Penn State apart in a way that is reminiscent of what Dwayne Haskins has done every single game this year. But it stood out to everybody, one, because it was in a pressure situation and it was effective and it pulled Ohio State back from the brink and won the game for them. But I think it also stood out to people because it was so rare for JT. It was not what we were used to. And now in a world where this is what you are accustomed to with the Ohio State offense, when you look now at what JT Barrett did – he just completed the passes that Dwayne Haskins has completed a thousand times in the first four games, except JT still double pumped on a couple of them and won't let them go. And Dwayne would have thrown them more in rhythm a year ago. And if that was what Penn State did with the game on the line, you're talk, you talk, Bill, about the way Ohio State has defended Penn State in the past. This is talking about the way Penn State has defended Ohio State in the past. They let JT Barrett stand back there. If they do anything close to that against Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins will throw for 900 yards. <laughs> what Dwayne Haskins does on an every drive basis is so far beyond, and from only a passing standpoint. but on that in that situation, in that fourth quarter, J.T did not run very much, and they did not run very much. They were throwing. And JT was completing passes. So it was a window to me of this is what it's going to look like for four quarters on Saturday. And I have no idea how Penn State can possibly stop Dwayne Haskins and this offense. None. I also don't know how Ohio State's going to stop Trace McSorley, even though the stats say that Trace McSorley historically is 11 of 41 for 116 yards against Ohio State. (laughs) He just, he's a sprightly little happy-go-lucky little leprechaun of a quarterback who's going to steal your pot of gold. Like, he's just got... Right? He's just So he scares me even if the stats don't scare you. With Dwayne Haskins, the play should scare you and the stats should scare you. I have no idea how Penn State will stop
2: him. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. The one one thing I'm curious about is if if Penn State is a team that finally flips it and starts game planning against Haskins instead of game planning against Ohio State's running backs. And... If that happens, I I have confidence in Ohio State's ability to run the ball against any team that's not going to put seven or eight guys in the box. Um, But if I'm Penn State, I think I would want to test it. Yes. I think I'd want to test it. I I think you've seen enough from Dwayne Haskins to know that if you give him time or you key on something other than the passing game that he's going to rip you apart. Um, So I would back up. I would back up and see what happens. He hasn't, he hasn't. been. He hasn't been throwing against teams that have been dropping seven, eight guys in the country. So you would drop eight. I would drop eight to see if he can read it because I don't think I, that's the one thing I, I'm not totally sure he's shown yet. Rather and, than bring pressure, you drop eight rather than bring pressure. Or drop whatever, like bring a bring an extra blitzer and drop like just play, key against the pass and make Dwayne Haskins make decisions. And see what happens. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I, I don't know how he'd handle it. I'm not saying that because I think that would, that would mess him up. I'm just, I'm just curious to see how he would handle it. I think it's like the one box he has yet, yet to check is what happens when he has to go through progressions and make decisions and get the ball to the right place and protect it and not turn it over. Cause I, I will say, I think the thing that, well, there's a lot of
0: things that stand out with Dwayne Haskins. One is his arm strength. One is his accuracy. But another is just the confidence and the rhythm that he's thrown with, right? And a lot of that is because, He's looking at that initial
2: read, and it's there, and he's taking it. Yeah. That's the thing about people. People were concerned about, does he lock on to the first guy too much? It's like he might, but the first guy's open a lot. So is that wrong? So why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I would bring a blitzer almost every down from a different spot.
0: I would make him try to figure out I I'd, I'd be zone blitzing, I'd be yeah. looks like it looks like a safety's coming and all of a sudden it's a corner blitz. I'd bring I'd put three linebackers up at the line and you have to figure out which one's coming. Just to do that to the Ohio State offensive line too. Now, were you on the co- on the coach's call today? I was. Were you on James Franklin's also? I was. Did uh, I was not. Did both Urban Meyer and James Franklin compliment the opposing offensive line as one of the best offensive lines it's seen from that school?
2: Yes. Which, uh, and Franklin, I listened to a little bit. Franklin's main uh, press conference is also on Tuesdays. It's before the conference call. And I caught probably half of that. And he was very complimentary about High State's offensive line. First, its size, which is obvious. We know how big they are. But yeah, he said they've been playing really well, which I think is evident. And then Irma Meyer said that the defensive coaches have said about Penn State's offensive line that this is one of the better lines they've seen, period. Not even just the Penn State. So again, 52 51. That's all I'm saying. I mean, if both quarterbacks are going to have all day to throw the ball, then yeah. I just don't know if Trace McSorley will. So my question is then, if you're Penn State
0: and you respect Ohio State's offensive line, I still would test them. Like, I just would not – I would not let – I would let Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins run wild. Because I think that's the price you might have to pay and rally to the ball. And if that's the way it's going to be, rally to the ball and make them get chunks and at least – make them work their way down the field. But but I would not I would not let Haskins stand back there. I would not give him the same look from play to play and I would I would test this offensive line. I would I would, take, yeah, I, would too. I would take chances. I this to me I would be a Penn State defense that takes chances. And if the offensive line is capable of picking up different looks And if Dwayne Haskins is going to read what's happening and get rid of the ball quickly, and all of a sudden Paris Campbell only has one guy to beat, and if he beats that guy, he's off for 80 yards, well, then adjust after that. But I'd make them do that a couple times.
2: Yeah, but I also don't think it's not like – Ohio State's offensive line has seen that. Like, TCU was was testing them, like that, and they held up really well, I thought. Dwayne Haskins got hit a couple times. I think he ended up getting sacked once, had a few balls that he had to hurry because there was pressure in his face. But I thought, I and mean, then you're not going to block. When they are bringing more guys than you have blockers, like you're not going to hold up right every single time. Um, but I thought against TCU they held up really well, and I have, a, I have a lot more confidence in the offensive line going into this game because of that, um, that I, I didn't have going into the TCU game. I thought that was going to be a real challenge for them, and it didn't appear to be. Um, So I agree with you. I I think you have to do that. I think you have to try to find pressure points and and, and see what Ohio State's offensive line is going to give up, and you get helped with all the noise and how hard it is to communicate in Beaver Stadium. But um, I think there's examples already on of of Ohio State's offensive line being able to handle that kind of stuff.
0: I will say when you the one thing um, is that when you play a a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins, you have to have a good offensive line, right? I I like if when when Braxton Miller is your quarterback. Or when Terrell Pryor was your quarterback, you know what? Like, or JT, or JT, you know, like half the time, if there was an offensive line breakdown, that was almost like a bad thing for the defense. Cause all of a sudden now it's scramble drill and you've got an athlete in space and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Dwayne Haskins needs a line. And, and, and so the, the pairing of this, it was Dwayne Haskins time. Dwayne Haskins was going to be the quarterback. But they needed to have a line that could protect him to give him the chance to be Dwayne Haskins. And it turns out, at least so far, that first-year starter Thayer Munford, first-year starter Malcolm, Malcolm Pridgen, Pridgen, Michael Jordan playing a new position at center for the first time, Demetrius Knox, who won a starting job for the first time, and Isaiah Prince, who is in a third-year starting at right tackle, but who has come a long way as a player, and they needed him to, Turns out, they're the line for Dwayne Haskins, which
2: I would was not one hundred percent sure of before this season. No, I wasn't either. And I thought they've given up six sacks this year, and that's I also might include some stuff with Tate Martell. That's just overall in the season. Ohio State's allowed six sacks. Um, yeah, they've been they've been a lot better. Because he's you're right. He's the kind of quarterback that, that leads you probably to have you know probably five to eight more sacks on the year just because he's not as adept at escaping pressure as some of the other guys you mentioned but so far they've been really good and I will give you a hint about this pressure story that I'm going to put up Wednesday morning
0: I asked college football film room to help me out with help me out with a stat about how Dwayne Haskins has handled pressure this year and I think There's a distinction here, and I'll get into the story. I'm not just talking about like when they blitz. I'm talking about when a guy, however it happens, like gets in the backfield. Yeah. Because if you get blitzed and the line picks it up or you have the right protection scheme and the back picks it up or a tight end picks it up or whatever, and you still have a clean pocket, then it's like, well, it's not really about being against the blitz. Because if you have a clean pocket, if the blitz doesn't get there and you recognize the blitz, then you have something to take advantage of and you just get it out and that's it. I'm just talking about when you've got to move your feet right? However it happens, you can't just stand there and throw. What happens to Dwayne Haskins when he can't just stand there and throw? He's got to either evade a rusher in the backfield. He's got to roll out and get away from pressure. He has to decide, I'm going to run. He's scrambled up the middle a couple times and gotten three or four yards rather than taking a negative play. Or I'm just going to get rid of it. A guy's in my face and I'm going to get rid of it and not throw an interception and not take a negative play but I'm just going to get rid of it and we live to see another down. What happens when a guy gets in his face? And this is part of the story but it wasn't really what I was asking about but it's a very interesting answer nonetheless. One of their points was that he so far has faced pressure far less than Uh Ohio State and J.T. Barrett at quarterback faced pressure last year. They said that he – let's see if I can get the uh, right thing from them. I'm going to credit them for their wonderful work. From CFB Film Room, that's the Twitter account, Dwayne Haskins has faced pressure on just 15.4% of his dropbacks. For context, Ohio State quarterbacks faced pressure on 25.6% of dropbacks last year. So that's that's what we're talking about. That if Dwayne Haskins was getting pressured 25% of the time and had to do something about it, that's a different world. If you're never getting to him, he's going to do what he's done. So my advice to opposing defenses would be get to 25% instead of 15%. And if he kills you, he's kills you. But him only having to deal with pressure
2: 15% of the time, we've seen it. it. doesn't work. I'd be curious to know what in that 15% is the offensive line just picking everything up and blocking really well when a team blitzes or teams just bring in four. Like when do they get through? Yeah. Because the point, so
0: again, what they're saying is that's the pressure. That's when somebody gets through one way or the other, right? So I, I don't know enough about the Penn State defensive line because, again, I've watched eight minutes of highlights. Does Penn State have a defensive line where guys are going to get through? We'll ask Bob Flounders this in a minute. He's going to join us from PennLive.com. But, you know, if you're playing Ohio State, Draymond Jones is going to get through sometimes. Chase Young is yeah. going to get through sometimes. Even without Nick Bosa, they're going to have people who win one-on-one battles or even win one-on-two battles and get into the backfield. I don't know how much Penn State can rely on a guy beating his man and getting pressure. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'd
2: be curious to know that. No, I don't cover Penn State. Write so. that down. Yeah. Penn State, the Nittany Lions, Nittany. Mount Nittany. Mount Nittany. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was broke my ankle walking down Mount Nittany one time. Really? Yeah. Why were you up on Mount Nittany? It's a thing people do. They hike Mount Nittany. Did was it a? Did you feel uh, one with the world? No, I hated every second of it. <laughs> How sweaty were you? Really sweaty. Is it like straight up, or was it like a winding path? No, it's like it like it's it's not like rock climbing, but it's uh it's a. Fairly steep path, um, but then the road down, like if you don't turn back down and walk the way you came, the the opposite path down is like a lot of loose rock and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of loose rock. Yeah, book uh, 36. <laughs> so when you get to the
0: top of the mountain, is there a wise old Nittany Lion at the top of the mountain that tells you how to live your life?
2: No, just a really good view of State College. Really? That's not – it's like a good view, but it's not worth uh, – Oh, granted, I'm a man who's not in any shape at all, physical conditioning-wise. So for like a normal person, it's probably really easy. But for me, it was not worth it. There's a hill uh, in Arizona when Ohio State plays in the Fiesta Bowl. And there's
0: like an easy way to go up and a hard way to go up. And I tried to go one time, and I went up the hard way because I was like, I don't have to go to the yeah. book forty-seven. I didn't want to go the easy way and literally somebody broke their ankle like they had to like call paramedics like while I was there and I was like what am I doing why am I in a place where people are breaking their ankles I should be at Chipotle all right um you know where you should be right now this is the thing and I like multitasking Bill Landis do you enjoy multitasking
2: yes I'm currently multitasking trying to pet my dog and do this podcast so what you could be doing right now is listening to Buckeye talk but I I assume
0: most of you, when you listen to Buckeye Talk, you don't carve out a two-hour section of your week and just sit on a couch with your eyes closed and headphones on and only listen to Buckeye Talk. Right now, what are you doing? You're driving. You're mowing your yard. You're emptying the dishwasher. You're cooking dinner. Um, you're gathered around the fireplace with your family listening to Bill and Doug. But what you also could be doing is visiting ShopOhioState.com because that's a wonderful thing to pair with your Buckeye Talk experience. And you know why? Because right now it's buy one, get one, half off, select styles at shopohiostate.com, which is the website of the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Beautiful storefront on High Street. If you're going to the game, you want to stop somewhere before um, the next home game. The next home game is against Indiana at 4 o'clock. You can go to Columbus early. Go to the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble bookstore. Tell them Bill and Doug sent you. They'll say that's lovely. I don't know what you want us to do with that information. You're not going to get a discount. I say who? What what are are you talking about? Now they might yell in the back, Nancy. Someone said Bill and Doug sent them. Does that mean anything? They'll be like, no, but it's a lovely store. It is. Or you can go to shopohiestate.com right now. Buy one, get 50% off select styles. And what do they have? They got socks. So many cool socks. I'm a big sock guy, but they also have everything else, all kinds of apparel, all kinds of gifts. Ohio State Spirit, you can show it at shopohiostate.com. Again, we're getting into hoodie weather. Right now, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt with shorts, which I believe I've expressed before is the finest combination of clothing that you could wear, long sleeve shirt and shorts. One time, I threw up the first pitch at Wrigley Field because what? I won a quiz competition in college. And one of the prizes was one of the people on your quiz team gets to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field. And I was like, that's me. And just pushed everybody else on my (laughs) quiz team to the side. And for some reason, I decided that the best attire to wear to stand on the mound at Wrigley Field would be like tan shorts and like a mustard color long sleeve shirt. Nice. I just looked like a big fat college slob, which is what I was. And then I threw it to Mark Parent, the Cubs backup catcher, who I then later covered while I covered the Philadelphia Phillies and I think I asked him one time like do you remember when I threw out the first pitch to you and he said like shut up and get away from my lock <laughs> um, <laughs> so here at com, they've got um, ooh they got they got footballs and basketballs these are cool it's the, the scarlet and black design like the old ABA basketball yeah. right this is scarlet and black I would get this this is a good gift for the basketball fan in your life Seventeen ninety eight. my god that's cheap bargain what a, what a bargain All kinds of hats, visors, scarves, hoodies, sweatshirts, shorts, sweatpants. Go to shopohiostate.com. Again, select styles, buy one, get one half off, tell them Bill and Doug sent you. It won't do any good, but it'll make you feel good. All right, let's get ready to welcome in our friend from Penn Live from our sister company, part of the advanced network of fine publications. When I was uh, – well, I'll tell you, let us get him on the phone first, and then we can remind people of <laughs> how Bob Flounders played a hugely important role in the life of a young Doug Maurice. All right, joined by Bob Flounders from PennLive.com. He has covered Penn State forever. And, Bob, I just was getting ready to tell the people, can you explain to them the very vital role you played in the young life of Doug Maurice, if, if you remember it? If
1: you, want, if you want me to share the story, Doug, I will share the story. This was this was uh this was a while back. I wanna say this was was this the mid nineties
0: that was it was it, it was the mid nineties. Nineteen ninety four.
1: Right, right. And you were you were just a pup back then and you were cutting your teeth. Well,
0: you you were an intern for the Patriot News, were you not? I was, correct. Uh, from Palmyra PA if I have that right. Correct.
1: And uh I, I tried to do what uh what be good Sports writer from Pennsylvania in the mid-90s should do with an intern that's about to turn 21. And I believe uh, we took you to a, a, a local watering hole uh, known as Zembies, which is still here in uh, Harrisburg. I actually live very close to Zembies which is convenient for me because I, I can still go there. But nice. uh, you, I believe we celebrated your 21st birthday in Zembies and then I actually showed some restraint. And was your designated driver? I might have had like one cocktail
0: and I believe I drove you home. That is correct. Wow. How about that? There's like in your life, there's your spouse and then there's the person who drove you home the night of your 21st birthday. That's the order of importance. That's what Bob Flounders is to me. That was 1994? It does. I just just want you to know, I think that's the only time I've ever been in
2: Zendis and left. In that, in that shape, in that great well, game. So, that, that,
0: that's how much you mean to me. That's makes it even more special, Bob. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Wow. What a moment. Alright, so we're here. Uh, it was in first grade when that happened. Bob, Bill Landis was in first grade. Bob Flowers <laughs> would have driven you home if you needed a ride home from elementary school. He would have driven you home that day, Landis. Um, <laughs> All right, Landis, so we are, uh, we're sitting here trying to decide if both teams are going to score in the 60s, the 50s, or the 40s in this game. And my first question to you is, can Penn State get consistent pressure on Dwayne Haskins with a four-man rush? Or if they want to bother this guy who has been picking defenses apart, will they have to blitz him? What's the Penn State defensive line like? Yeah, so they do have a couple of very good
1: defensive ends in Sharif Miller uh, and Etor Grossmatoft. Etor's only a second-year player. By the time he leaves Penn State, he should be a high NFL draft pick. He's really that good. They played him last year. They're not that great, <clears throat> excuse me, in the middle at defensive tackle. They have really one player at defensive tackle who at times can be disruptive and that's Kevin Gibbons. He was actually effective two years ago late in the game at uh, Beaver Stadium on Ohio State's, I think their last drive, which is Resulted in a couple of sacks. He was one of the guys causing problems in the middle. The problem is that this Penn, this Ohio State offensive line, I think, is far better than the 2016 offensive line. at Penn State, uh, Penn State really has not seen um, you know a quarterback like Haskins. Um, the pick kid Pickett isn't wasn't isn't really ready yet, and he's not. Obviously not in Haskins League. Illinois and Kent State just don't have quarterbacks uh, that can play very well. The one quarterback they saw that was pretty good was Zach Thomas from Appalachian State. And guys, that game, there's almost no way Penn State should have won that game, and they did. It was really a lot had to happen to go Penn State's uh, way late in that game for them to even get to overtime. App State had them beat, and that quarterback played very well. He's a good quarterback. I know that Hopkins is better than him. I think pressure and whether or not Penn State tries to get some will be a big storyline. Um, Brent Pry is not afraid to blitz, but historically their blitzes never get home. So oh. Penn, Penn State's going to find, they're going to have to tackle very, very well, and they're going to have to find a way. I think the game for me, for Penn State, is if they're going to win it, um, it's about how they're going to play red zone defense. They have to play well in the red zone because I know that
2: Ohio State will move the ball on them, I think, on almost every possession. Bob, what's the concern if, if, you're, if you're Penn State's defense? I know some people have, have noticed the, the rushing totals yeah. against, against Penn State. Is your sense that they're more concerned about Haskins throwing on them or, or the combination of Weber and Dobbins and that offensive line just leaning on them and running the ball?
1: Well, just about, I mean, honestly, with the exception of the Kent State game, and they were just kind of out-athleted uh, from the start, teams have been able to run on Penn State, uh, maybe not for four quarters, but they've been able to get them, uh, you know, for long stretches in the game. App State ran on them, Penn did run on them before their kicking game fell apart. And Illinois had the lead on Penn State. Uh, early in the third quarter, just because of their running game mainly. The, the big problem I see is but yeah, they, they did replace eight starters on defense, but they have some talented players. A lot of them are inexperienced, and it really, to me, it shows up at linebacker. Um, you know, Jason Cabinda was, was by no means an all Big Ten first team player, but he was very solid, very smart. He always was in the right spot, he always had the defense uh, kind of lined up uh, against the run. They miss him. Uh, they really like a true freshman linebacker named Micah Parsons, but mm. he, that might not be his best position. Linebacker. He is at his best. He's a, he's a really good pass rusher. He eventually might grow into being a pass rusher. You don't want him. Uh, you don't want him doing too much read, reading. You just want to turn him loose. He does have a skill set. I think that is a little bit comparable to LeVar Arrington. linebacker position, you know, there's not, there's some times Dave, when he's not always lined up correctly.
0: So Ohio State's going to score 50, but Bob, Bob, I watched eight minutes of highlights from the Penn State-Illinois game. And apparently, I believe I heard you say that Illinois was leading at some point. Because I'm going to say, Bob, in those eight minutes of highlights, Trace McSorley and Miles Sanders looked really good to me. Isn't Penn State maybe going to also put 50 on Ohio State?
2: there were probably some points left on the board and there really were so I do think
1: (laughs) as long as both teams once both teams settle down I think I think the defenses are really going to be up against it and yeah
2: high 30s at the very least again. Bob, we got a question on, on Twitter that, that I didn't really know the answer to and I was wondering maybe if, if you did because it's a Penn State-centric question. Um, somebody sent in the tweet and said that Trace McSorley's yards per attempt and yards, yards per completion are on a three-year downtrend and he was wondering if you've seen teams attacking him differently, trying to take away some of those deep balls that he was so good at a few years ago.
1: Well, I um I mean, so he obviously he misses uh, Gusicki, the tight end, and he misses Deshaun Hamilton, and Chris Godwin's with the Bucs. So, yeah, he, over the years, the the, the the guy that everyone thought was going to be a 1,000-yard receiver this year, Juwan Johnson, he's really gotten off to a slow start. So has DeAndre Tompkins, the two veterans. Um, and, yes, they are... I think one of the things that's happened with Penn State in the past game this year is their offensive line is really improved, and they can do so much more damage on the ground between Trace running the ball and giving it to Miles Sanders. Miles is a talented player. Uh, he's, I think, he's definitely an NFL player. Different kind of player than Barkley. Miles, he doesn't. You, don't, you won't see him lose yards very often. Whereas Saquon could be a little bit boomer bust and he'll try and bounce everything and that really caught up to him i thought against ohio state last year mm-hmm. miles is good at you know you know he'll get a lot of two and three yard games and then as the game the, as the game wears on you'll see some of those games start to become eight nine ten you know 20 yard games he's very good at keeping the offense kind of uh they're never in really uh long yardage situation, so they're, they're more comfortable, I think, attacking teams on the ground, and then eventually they will uh, go after teams through the air, but they don't really have any established playmakers yet in the passing game. They have some guys that look phenomenal, but they've been inconsistent. They're best, the most dangerous player they have in the passing game right now is K.J. Hamler, who's a richer freshman slot guy. He's undersized, but just really, really good in space. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been the numbers, Trace's numbers aren't as good as they've been uh, the last two years. But I think part of it is the design and the offense and of what their strength is now offensively. And the other part of it is they just have not established any tight edge yet. And they haven't established really a guy that, you know, when it's third date, uh, you know that Trace is going to look to him to get him the ball uh, to make the play. They really missed a Hamilton uh, in, in that aspect.
0: So, Bob, again, I watched eight minutes of highlights from the Penn State-Illinois game, and in those eight minutes of highlights, I saw Trace McSorley completing some passes in the middle of the field to a tight end, hit a couple other things. That, to me, is the area where I have the most questions about Ohio State with their linebackers and their safeties. Are they potentially vulnerable in their losses last year to Oklahoma and Iowa? It seemed to me like they were vulnerable to some of that. Is that an area that Trace McSorley can attack consistently? 15-year? Down the field in the middle of the field, or was that only true in the eight minutes of highlights that I watched against Illinois? So it was eight minutes. It wasn't seven or nine. It was eight, Doug? No. I think it was a eight. ten minute highlight package, but I had to go to the bathroom and then come here to Landis' house, so I only got eight minutes that I actually watched. <laughs> yeah. There's a tight end, a true freshman that is going to be a good player at Penn State named Pat Muse number 87. He is the guy
1: that I think can hurt teams consistently across the middle. The other tight end is just too erratic. Either they get hurt or you can't count on them or they're just not that good. Um, he's going to be, I think, the next tight end that's pretty good at Penn State, but he's not nearly as good um, as Mike Gesicki, obviously. that The middle of the field, yes, I'm sure that is an area that they can continue to work with, especially Handler is good going across the middle. Um, one thing I would point out to you guys is and it's really uh, I'm just curious if, if there's anything to this. So Tommy Stevens, Hasn't played yet this year. Um, I think he's been healthy the last two weeks, but they I think they they've been reluctant to kind of show their hand with him. He is he is a big big dude. He's about two hundred forty five pounds now. he He was very good for the, uh, he was very good last year when they when they actually used him. But I don't believe they used him against Ohio State. He's had uh, a lower lower. I think it's a foot issue that's bothered him all off season. We have not seen him at all. He looks like he's healthy. I don't know what they're going to do with Tommy, and I don't know if you're ever going to use Tommy Stevens. It would be, I think, in this game. I'm anxious to see if they have a package for him. He's an interesting player, an athletic player. But, yes, the middle of the field and maybe a couple of two... I think you got to see Trace and Tommy on the field at the same time. I mean, maybe that will confuse Ohio State. Um, it's unfortunate, I think, that... Uh, I really look, I was really looking forward to see Bosa play. I know how yeah. good he is. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's really unfortunate that he's, you know, he's going to be out indefinitely. Um, I was looking forward to watching him, but I also know that uh, you the, the Ohio State uh, front four is pretty good even without Bosa. But the middle of the field, yes, that's going to have to be something that, that Trace is able to uh, target and make some plays. He's also he's definitely going to have to make some plays uh, with his legs against this defense.
2: Bob, how's Penn State from an injury standpoint? Uh, they've been really
1: lucky, or blessed, or fortunate, however you want to, however you want to say it. They they have not had a lot of injuries uh, the past couple of years under James Franklin. Tommy Stevens, uh, I mentioned, uh, they ha- they're not really missing a lot of guys. Uh, they had a backup running back get hurt for the Illinois game, and yet his his career is over. But as far as guys that really matter. Um, they're, they've been pretty fortunate as far as uh, some of the, the, the guys that seem to get hurt are the backups. They don't really mm-hmm. lose a lot of front line guys. Um, two years ago, when Penn State, excuse me, played Ohio State and they, they registered that upset, they were I was about as unhealthy as they have been. They got two players back for that game: Brandon Bell and Jason Kibben. they both played out of their minds. And that was probably one of the reasons why Penn State won. But they are pretty healthy going into this one, and there'll be no excuses. Uh, if they get whipped, they're not really shorthanded. They just have to decide whether or not they're actually going to use Tommy Stevens. They've actually named a position after him to try, they were trying to keep him from transferring, so they made him a lion position because, Ooh. you know, he could run, he could catch, um, and obviously he can throw the ball, but we have actually not seen the lion in action since the
0: Fiesta Bowl. That's a good idea for Ohio State and Tate Martell. Name a position yeah. after him to keep the athletic backup quarterback on the roster one way or another. Huh. We yeah. will, we will yeah. ask people to think of a names for the Tate Martell position. I um, think that's, a gr- that's a great podcast segment next week. What, what would you, what would you call the position to keep Tate Martell at Ohio State in 2019? We can absolutely do two hours on that. I think I'd call it quarterback. Oh, that's true. Hey, so <laughs> one thing, Bob, that we, uh, it, with our uh, very limited Penn State knowledge talked about a lot this offseason is we saw after Tom Herman left Ohio State after the 2014 season just how much they missed him as an offensive coordinator and we wondered the departure of Joe Moorhead we thought that could be a big deal for Penn State do you feel like the offense has missed him or do you feel like they've been basically the same kind of attack and they've managed to to move on and do the same kind of things without him? It's a good, it's a-
1: I think that so it's been so far so good with Ricky Ronnie. He was a college quarterback in the Ivy League, a very good one. He's a longtime uh, assistant under James Franklin. James Franklin has always said he thinks he could be a great offensive coordinator. Um, he was the offensive coordinator for Penn State last year in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, but, you know, that, that offense really, uh, with Kasicki and Barkley and Hamilton and Trace, um, but you, there, there wasn't a lot to mess up there. there I mean, you just kind of threw the football out there, and uh, you just, you just, you just kind of continued what Joe was doing. This year, um, you know, that, there were some tense moments in the Appalachian State game. They had, they had to drive the length, not the length of the field, because there was a long kickoff return, but they had to go about 55 yards in a short amount of time to force overtime. He did make uh, a lot of great calls in that game. He is obviously... Uh, not afraid to lean on the running game, and and he trusts the fact that the offensive line is actually a team strength. Um, they're not; you don't see them uh, take those deep shots down the field as much as Joe Moorhead did, but they will still do it. Um, but yeah, they they the Appalachian State game was was kind of an indicator for me that uh, Ricky should be fine this year, and it really does help to have a fifth year quarterback on the field to kind of change the play or get the offense into the right play when the defense initially has it covered. Um, I suspect <clears throat> I suspect not only on Saturday, but when Penn State plays at Michigan and also when Wisconsin comes to Beaver Stadium, that we're gonna learn a lot more about Ricky Ronnie as a play caller because in all of those games I can certainly see scenarios where in the fourth quarter this this team is gonna have to put together a touchdown drive, and there's not going to be any room for error. If they don't get the job done, they're going to lose the game. So I think we're going to see that. I do think that probably Ricky benefited from watching Joe Moorhead for two years, and Joe obviously, having been a head coach before he took the Penn State job, uh, is just really really sharp and imaginative, and I'm sure Ricky has borrowed some things from Joe Moorhead. So, I I, would, I thought they would miss Joe. I did. Um, but really, the I don't think I was going to know that until maybe the Ohio State game. Okay. I didn't really think that Penn State would. I was stunned that Appalachian State almost won that game. Uh, but I didn't really feel like Penn State was going to be tested until Saturday. So I think this, those three games are really going to tell you a lot about, I think, Ricky Ronnie, and you're going to learn a lot about this Penn State defense because it has to play better than it has in the first four games. They have been really,
0: really uh, inconsistent. They have not played a full 60 minutes yet. So I don't know what's going to happen Saturday, Bob, but I will tell you I am 100% certain that Penn State will beat Wisconsin when Wisconsin comes to Happy Valley okay. because Wisconsin is an overrated fraud, and Penn <laughs> State and Michigan will both beat them this year. But that's a topic for another day. Um, Bob okay. Flounders, we will see you on Saturday, and I just want to say that if you need a ride home after the game, Landis can definitely take you home.
2: <laughs> yeah, As long as you're going to Bedford. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm Bedford.
0: beautiful this time of year. You guys are going to have fun. (laughs) Bob, thanks for your time, man. We'll see you soon. All right, you guys got it. See you later. Thanks, Bob. So thanks to Bob Flounders. We will see Bob and the rest of the Penn Life team in State College on Saturday night. And we also could see you in State College because if you want to go to this game, Minuteman Tickets has you covered. MinutemanTickets.com is a Columbus, Ohio-based ticket broker. They have tickets to everything, but they back it up. These are local folks with a national selection. They stand behind their product. You can buy from them without that knot in your stomach that you sometimes have when you buy online. So if you want to go to something like Ohio State, Penn State, they have multiple options to get you in. Now, is it going to be cheap? No, it's not going to be cheap. This is a gigantic game. But do you want to experience this? If you make that decision as an individual, Minuteman Tickets will help you out. So if you go to MinutemanTickets.com right now, they've got the tickets to the game. They've got parking passes. They have two and four tickets in groups. They had a a group of up to six. They have some individual tickets. If you're maybe just trying to get there, maybe you save a little money on a a single ticket. They have many options to get into all the big games. Sometimes you just need the opportunity, right, that – you know it's going to cost, but you just think to myself, where can I even go to try to get these? And Minuteman Tickets is that place for you because you can go there. You can check out their selection. You can know that they back up their product and they are a company that is invested in the community. So when you help out Minuteman Tickets and you pick them, I'm going to buy from them. There's some other people I could buy from, but I'm going to buy from Minuteman Tickets because they give back to the community in Ohio. Invest in them because they invest in your community. They're our ticket guys. Make them your ticket guys at
2: minutemantickets.com. Questions, Bill Landis. I want to start with this one because I saw it, and it's right up your alley. Hypothetical question from Charlie at CharliePlays underscore Mark, whatever that is on Twitter. He says... It's the fourth quarter. Woo. One minute left on the clock. Ohio State is down by a touchdown on Penn State's eight-yard line. They send Dwayne Haskins to the bench and Tate Martell onto the field. Does Tate Martell get the touchdown as Ohio State win? So they would never do it
0: because there's too much psychological stuff involved with that. Unless Tate Martell is involved already as like the red zone quarterback or something, yeah. you can't go tricky with your Heisman candidate on the bench. It's just, it would, even if it, even if you scored, there would be some actual negative reaction, I think, to that. I've been in pro Tate series because I think it's, it, it becomes a natural flow to your offense that there's nothing more attached to it. It's not punitive. It's not that we don't believe in somebody or do believe in somebody. It's just a thing you do. If you have established that Tate Martell is a regular part of your red zone offense, then I think maybe that's on the table. I still wouldn't do it, but it could be on the table. They have not established that yet. Yeah. But does he score? Of course he scores.
2: Yeah, I think he scores. Cool. I, I don't think you do it, but I I do think he would score.
0: Would you be let me expand the question. Are you in favor of Tate Martell becoming a part of a red zone package? Uh and not even a package, a play. That that on second and goal from the seven, Tate Martell comes in the game. Would you be in favor of seeing that?
2: Maybe, maybe. I, I would have, I would have definitely said no before the season, but Ohio State struggled a little bit in the red zone against TCU. Um, for the season, they're fine. Uh, but Penn State is a team that like only scores touchdowns when it's in the, uh, when it's in the red zone. Penn State's red zone touchdown percentage is ninety five percent. I think it's the best in the country. Ohio State's is closer to seventy. So if you think that Penn State is just going to score every time it gets in the red zone because that's what Penn State does, then I think you have to be willing to pull whatever you need to pull out of the bag to make sure you're doing it yourself when you're in the red zone. So if that means putting Tate Martell in there because you haven't quite figured out yet how to score in that short area and you want to have the quarterback run element because that's a major deal down there, I think I'd be okay with it. I'm not totally on board with it yet. I think they can score in other ways in the red zone, taking advantage of Dwayne Haskins' skill set, but... If they can't figure it out, then I think you have to do it almost. They definitely struggled with that with Cardale Jones in 2015.
0: And that's one of those where, again, whether you're pressuring Dwayne Haskins or dropping eight, that's when you drop eight, I think. right That second and goal from the seven, you drop eight. And now all of a sudden, let's say you have five guys in the route. And you have eight people covering them. And you're just not that worried. Because if you did that to JT Barrett, JT Barrett would just run. Yeah, You're not that worried because you figure if Dwayne Haskins runs, we can get to him before he gets to the end zone. Because mm-hmm. he's just not that fast. He doesn't look that fast to me. And he doesn't look that comfortable doing it. And I don't know that he looks a 100% super decisive. on like, oh, time to go. I'm taking off. So I think you could get to him. So then... Yeah, that's, that's what I think. The field shortens. It's the same stuff you hear about the red zone all the time. The field shortens. You don't have to worry. You're not worried about like what a deep safety is doing because the deep safety would be in the student section. But but also, I don't think you can do it now. Can you put Tate Martell in at second and seven, second and goal from the seven
2: in the third quarter against Penn State when he's never done that? I mean, if it's a big, it's, it's sort of the stuff that Bob was talking about with Tommy Stevens. If it's like a big game wrinkle, then, yeah, I think he can get away with it. It'd be interesting. You can't do it with one minute left if you've never done it. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you'd never do it, and then like the game's on the line, quite literally, and then you do it. Right. But some kind of Tate red zone thing against Penn State would not totally surprise me because I think it's like you got to win the game. Yeah. And if you think that'll help you, then you do it. Uh, the one thing you mentioned, Cardale, Um Dwayne can make different throws than Cardell. I agree. Cardell can chuck in a mile. I don't think he had to touch to throw the ball in the red zone. I think Dwayne does. Which matters. I agree uh austin chapelle asked why is beaver stadium called beaver stadium well
0: back in the 1600s mm-hmm. um that area of pennsylvania and we learned about this in pennsylvania history classes when i was in third grade that area was inundated with beavers it was the the great beaver plague of 1641 and what happened is there was a settlement there um and the beavers came and the beavers Killed ninety percent of the population. They would just invade the homes. They would just attack you right at the neck, and they get those beaver teeth right in there at the jugular, and they just gnaw you to death in your sleep. Ninety percent of the population killed. And so, what the the people who were left, what they did is they climbed Mount Nittany, and they they got down on their knees in front of the great beaver god who was up on top of of Mount Nittany, and they said, "Great beaver god." If you remove this plague, if you stop murdering us, um, if you call the Beavers off, when we build a college football stadium here, um, 300 years from now, we will call it Beaver Stadium. And the great beaver said, OK, that's cool. And the yeah. beaver plague ended. And that's how they got Beaver
2: Stadium. Yeah, it's either that or it's named after a former governor. Mm. I don't know which one. Doesn't sound like either it. one. Either one seems plausible to me. Um, Kelvin Corbin sent in an email uh, along the lines of some things we've already talked about. He says, "Is there any chance at all that the combined score is less than 70? You think <laughs> no shot, right? Think- I mean,
0: I'm pondering like if my outrageous prediction is going to be the combined scores in triple digits. Like I'm pondering that, and but every time you, I mean we've we've been around long enough now. Every time you do that, then the score is twenty eight
2: fourteen. So. Yeah, I don't, you know. Ohio State hasn't. The Sugar Bowl against Alabama was a shootout, and I think like a 2014 Michigan State game was a shootout. And would you Would you qualify last year 39 38 yeah. as a shootout? Like I, it kind of turned into one at the I end. I
0: mean, I would, and I think Bob's point is a good one: is that like Penn State was in the 30s entering the fourth quarter with the big lead, and they had left. Like, they had not moved the ball that much, and they had—Penn State, right, in the first three quarters last year, Penn State simultaneously should have been ahead by less and ahead by more. That they had—they had points in the 30s when they actually had not—didn't put up a ton of offense, but they also had done some things that seemed like, oh, man, Ohio State could Ohio State should be totally out of this game. Yeah, So, um— like, if it's two—again, Ohio State had six possessions in the first half against Tulane, and they scored six touchdowns. And the one thing about this Ohio State offense—and I wanted to ask Bob about this, but I forgot to because I was just talking about that time I got drunk. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Penn State goes tempo because, again, when I was watching the eight minutes of highlights versus Illinois, in the cutups, it's hard to tell if they're going tempo. But Ohio State scores fast. Ohio State puts together, like, 75-yard drives in three minutes. So that's part of this, too, that— that you, I think you have to take that into account because I mean, unless they just decide we are going to do everything we need to do to stop the passing game and Ohio State just runs, 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 which they might do. And all of a sudden now they are going to have a 75 yard drive that's going to take seven minutes. Most of their drives take three and a half minutes. And I just think Penn State might do the same thing. Yeah. And I just think it's going to be up there. You would go, what's your confidence level that it's over 70? Probably like, We've been using a scale of one to five on our confidence picks, yeah. like a four and a half. Okay. Just like allowing for the fact that, that 20% of the time games go 100% opposite of what you think they're going to be. Yeah. But I just think, I think I would hammer over, I would, I would hammer the over just on, I just think if it's if it's normal. And the other thing too is that like, I think it's possible that Ohio State's substantially better than Penn State and we're going to find that out. And that might be 52 21. And then you're over. Also, yeah. you're also over 70 that way.
2: Nathan Cop, uh what do you think? I I don't know what I think yet, but I, I confidence level that it's going to be that kind of a shootout where the combined is over 70, approaching 80, probably like a three. I think I I think that like a 31, 20, 28 games out there too. Like these defenses are have given up big plays. But there's a lot of talent. These offenses aren't quite as good as we think they are based on the competition they played. And it's a little more of a slugfest than we think it is. And maybe both teams play conservatively, and that leads to it too. And then, but like 31-28 is still a good game, and I think it's yeah. a pretty high-scoring game for teams are playing conservatively. But I think I lean a little more toward 31-28 than I do like 45-42. Okay. Um, we'll include an overconfidence thing with our picks. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll make our picks, but we'll also yeah. do an over thing. Nathan Kopp uh, emailed a question in. He says, "What's the line if Nick Bosa was playing? Right, it started opened at four and a half. Right now, it's at three and a half. He asked if it would be more along like six and a half if Bosa was playing. I don't think Nick Bosa is worth three points, but he's probably worth something, right? I think, I think he's, he's worth, worth something. I think he's worth a point, maybe a point and a half. I, I'm surprised. Why is this the line? Games have been close the last two years. I guess like in the 2016 game was a three point game, right? And last year was a one point game. I'm sure that feeds into it." Here's the thing. In 2016,
0: there's a couple things that I think are on the table when you're trying to look backwards. I think it's possible that maybe – so this is a young Penn State team, right, They lost a lot of guys. Ohio State in 2016 had a young team and was going to play a good opponent, and they went to Oklahoma and whacked them with a bunch of young players. And it was like, whoa, these young guys are ready. Now, I don't know if Penn State has Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker like first-year starters who are going to go to the NFL draft and be top 15 picks next year. I doubt it. But I think it's possible that this could be a moment where it's like, oh, Bob was talking about Micah Parsons. He was talking about the defensive end who I can't remember the name that he E-tour said. DeTour or something. Maybe it's like, oh, wow, these guys are first-round NFL draft picks, and they just proved it really for the first time. I think there's like a 15% chance of that happening that like Penn State – Penn State's talent level is at the point where it's going to be consistent from year to year, even when guys graduate, just like at Ohio State, and that Penn State shows it in this game, and it's like, oh, Penn State won. I didn't know that was going to happen. I think that's possible. But in 2016, I was going to say this to Flounders, Dave Jones, who works for PennLife.com, and it was one of my mentors, I was going to pick Ohio State to lose that game in 2016, and Dave Jones talked me out of it. He was like, no way. No way is Penn State good enough to win this game or whatever. And then Penn State came out and played its best game, as Bob just said. They had guys get healthy and play out of their minds. But I I thought I felt something with Ohio State. And I'm wrong all the time. But there have been times in my 13 years covering Ohio State when I sort of feel like there's a thing. And I'm usually wrong, but I'm in the range. Like I picked them in 2000. 15. Not, well, 2015, I picked them to lose at Indiana. And they – Had to defend a pass in the end zone or else they would have lost. Right. So I was wrong, but I was like kind of in the range. And Penn State, I wanted to pick them to lose to Penn State in 16, and I checked it out and they lost. But I thought I felt something then. In 2009, I picked Ohio State to lose at home to Wisconsin because I felt like that team was like – Cruising for a bruising and they beat Wisconsin and the next week they lost at Purdue. So there are times when I feel like, I don't know. And I feel zero percent of that right now. Huh. So like going to Beaver Stadium, I don't feel like Ohio State should be worried about that. I am not worried about the fact that maybe the competition level has puffed up this offense. I am not worried about Nick Bosa being out. I think they will do enough to Penn State to allow the offense to win the game. And I just am, I am. Even though I just said there's a 15% chance that Penn State has young players, we don't realize how good they are. I am very confident in Ohio State winning this game. And I can't remember what the question was, but it, it's my, as I try to evaluate maybe lessons you've learned from the past, I'm just telling you, this is 2016, that might have been a surprise in Beaver Stadium. I don't think that's coming.
2: There's a, there's a report uh, that Brady Taylor had knee surgery, and it did not come, <laughs> the report is not from somewhere where I thought it would have been. Oh. The Catholic Times. Okay. All right. He is their? He was their number two left guard, and Gavin couples was in that spot against Tulane, which I guess explains that. Okay. Um, so depth issue, potentially, although I think if they needed a backup guard, Brady Taylor would be pretty far down the list of, of guys they go. Uh, let's talk about linebackers. Whoop, whoop. Mars Gambit sent in a, a question on Twitter at Mars underscore Gambit. Gambit. He said, how do you think the linebackers will handle an athletic quarterback who also has the ability to throw in the run while scrambling? Will Bill Davis have them prepped? I think the answer to the second question is no. no. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not Ohio State's linebackers can overcome their subpar coaching to play well against Penn State.
0: Wow! I like to hear someone else say it. So it's not I mean, just me. It's obvious, me. right?
2: Everyone thinks it. Everyone knows it. Urban Meyer knows it. He's just not going to say it's He's his best man. So I watched the linebackers before we started recording this because I wanted to. Good journalizing. Thank you. I wanted to look at what a game in which Ohio State's linebackers, starting linebackers, don't record a tackle looks like. and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be given that crazy stat line where they didn't have any tackles. And we had a thing about it on Tuesday morning, and Urban Meyer was asked about it on Monday by Tony Gerderman. It was a good question. Urban Meyer was very taken aback by the idea – or by the – not the idea, the fact that the Ohio, his linebackers didn't have a starting – or didn't have a tackle in that game. He basically said, really? Yeah. And I know people are were concerned about it. We got a lot of questions about it. Um I didn't think it was quite that bad. I thought the tough Borland missed a couple tackles in space that he probably should have made. And I think he's missed a couple all year, which is uncharacteristic for him because I thought he was a pretty short tackler last year. And I don't know if that's still coming back from the injury and being a little indecisive or being a little slower or what. But he's certainly missing tackles and missed a couple against Tulane that maybe at least two, maybe three that would have gone down in the book. I mean, we'd be talking about this stat. Um, I thought Malik Harrison once or twice got like too far upfield and out of position. Um, Baron Browning did the same a couple of times. But I think mostly what led to that stat was the idea that Tulane is a triple option team, and the linebackers have assignments when you're playing a triple option team, whether that's the quarterback, the pitch man, the dive, whatever. The dive is usually the defensive line. But you are assigned to a specific person because that's how you defend the triple option. And there were plenty of times where I thought Ohio State's linebackers were in the right spot, just the ball wasn't there whether they, they gave it on the dive or whatever. I don't think they pin the pitching one, but there are a couple of times where they they the dive man got the ball, the defensive line did its job, and Barron Browning is standing in the face of a quarterback who doesn't have the ball. What's he supposed to do? He can't hit him. So I think that contributed to it a great deal. I didn't think it was an awful game from, from Ohio State's linebackers. I liked a lot of what I saw from Baron Browning, just sort of like them letting him go after it, and I think that can come in handy against Trace McSorley, especially when you're missing Nick Bosa. If you just want a guy who's going to chase the quarterback and bring him down, I think Baron Browning can do that. I think he clearly still struggles with making decisions and reading things the right way. It was probably 50-50 against Tulane, but left to just sort of be instinctual and go, I think he can be a guy who can really help Ohio State's defense contain Trace McSorley. So... To answer the question, I'm not concerned about the like the athletic level on athletic level between Trace McSorley and Ohio State's linebackers. I think that's an advantage for Ohio State. I'm just concerned about these guys who continually show uh, not the ability, because it's not an ability, but but problem problems in like a, awareness of things, especially from the outside linebacker spot, I'm a little worried about them losing containment on Trace McSorley, even just once or twice, because I think that's a difference yep. in a game like this. There was one play against Tulane where the quarterback got out and Tommy Togi happened to see it last second and trip the guy up. I think if that happens with Trace McSorley, it's a touchdown and it wasn't against Tulane. So I'm on the lookout for that. And I think the linebackers are the most important position for Ohio State in this game. But I'm not, I'm not just assuming they're going to be terrible. Um, cause I think, these kind of athletes, almost in, in some kind of way, favors what Ohio State has at linebacker right now if the guys are just left to kind of react and not have to make decisions. Are we getting Shiano Tuesday night? We're not. We're getting Alex Grinch. We're getting Alex Grinch? Yeah. I don't want to talk to Alex Grinch. I've been, I want I've been to talk wanting, to Greg Sciano. I've been wanting to talk to him, but this is a bad week.
0: Ah, no, because we're going to ask about linebackers, he's going to be like, I don't know. I don't coach the linebackers. No, he's not going to say that, right? We're not going to let him say that. He's a co-defensive coordinator. He's got an answer for this, right? Yeah, I think you can talk about it. it? Yeah. Okay. So, because here's my question. When Mm -hmm. we were theorizing during Tuff Borland's injury about when would Tuff Borland be back, we kept saying, will he be back for Penn State? This was a line in the sand that we drew on our own, and he came back in the sand much sooner. And he's been back since the start of the year. They played him 10 snaps the first game. They played him 20 snaps the second game. And it feels like since then, TCU, he played a lot, right? Yeah. They're just playing him as normal. So now that he's back and what we've seen in the first four games, I think it is fair to, to attribute some of tough Borland maybe not being at his best to he's still coming back. Yeah, I think so. So given the way Penn State plays offense, given what we've seen from Baron Browning and tough Borland, giving, given what we've seen from Ohio State in not rotating them, but dividing the middle linebacker job up between the two of them based on situations,
2: which middle linebacker should play more against Penn State? Yeah, that's a good question. If somebody asked us who, who we think should start, and I guess like who, which three linebackers should start, which I guess is probably just this question. Um, well, but part of that question is I think people saw Dante Booker do some stuff, and they're wondering if he should play more too, but yes. Yeah. Um, we can talk about Dante Booker in a second. Uh, I w- it's hard. It's hard. I think I like Browning a little more I think, for this matchup. I think Browning. I, I think Brown is Browning the McSorley
0: stopper. I mean, not that you spy Trace McSorley every play, but if you have he's a guy a lot, who's in there and needs to be aware of the quarterback when he keeps on the zone read and when he throws, he's watching him. He's maybe he's in the middle of the field helping to defend passing lanes against throws in the middle of the field. And if Trace McSorley takes off, this guy's going to track him down. I think yeah. Baron Browning's a McSorley stopper.
2: I think he could be. I think he could be. Who wants that story near you? Mm, we can rock paper scissors for okay. it. Okay. Yeah.
0: But I, like, I don't. Not to not to be simplistic, but I think it feels like Baron Browning's athleticism, and not that Tough Borland's not athletic, but I'm not so sure that Tough Borland is himself.
2: I think it's more that he's not himself. But like, I also. I don't want to talk bad about a guy. I'm not talking bad about him. I just like I think we know what Tough Borland is. He's like a solid middle linebacker. I think he's smart first and foremost, which is why he was in the position he was last year. But I think he lacks an athleticism compared to some of the other guys Ohio State has at linebacker, and I, I think most people would agree with that. And perhaps just in in comparison to Baron Browning, because Baron Browning is a freak. Yeah, but I also I agree with you that I don't I don't think he's all the way back yet. I think it's clear that he's not all the way back yet. Yeah.
0: So I'm very interested. What was the play? There was a play against Tulane when Baron Browning. <laughs> Just like ran, was it the the quarterback? The quarterback was rolling out, and Baron Browning just like tracked him yeah, down. Yeah, it was a
2: third. It was a third down play. Baron Browning. It was I think it were in a three three five nickel look, and Baron Browning was up on the line. He actually slipped and fell down, and like caught himself, and then chased down the quarterback. who was a pretty good athlete. It was him and Draymond Jones chasing him down, and Baron Browning got there first. And I like when I saw that play. I was like that that looks like a guy who might be able to do that against Trace McSorley. Yep. So I yeah I'm on I'm on team Browning this week I think. Uh, Dante Booker, I thought, played well against Tulane. Uh, the one play he had in the backfield was like Jocelyn Wint came in on a blitz like a madman and like got there first, and the quarterback had the move, and then Dante Booker was just there waiting for him. And then another play, they just did not block Dante Booker. So he played well. He graded out a champion. He was a defensive player of the game, and I thought it was really good to see a guy who's had some rough patches in his career injury-wise have a good game and get recognized for it. I didn't come away from watching him thinking, "Oh man, Dante Booker's got to play." Okay, maybe if you want to mix them in, mix them in because I don't think Pete Werner's been great. But I didn't watch Tulane and thought it's a travesty that Dante Booker's not playing. They just had a good game against a bad team who, in the second half, was tired and wanted to go home.
0: Yeah, that's okay. But I think it's a point too, and it's some of the things. I mean, I think that happened with Mike Weber earlier in this season. It's like you just look at things and you see the result, which is like, whoa, that guy did an awesome thing on that play. And then you look back and it's like, oh, nobody blocked him. Or you look back and say, oh, there was a hole that I could have run through and he got 50 yards. It doesn't mean the guy isn't a good player. It just means that, like, don't assume he's better than some other guy just because on that individual play,
2: everything opened up for him. Uh, Jordan Steelson in a tweet and he asked, after four games, how do you feel about the split at running back between J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber?
0: What was it last week? Like, I, like my initial reaction is I'm fine with it. I'm also fine if J.K. Dobbins starts taking a little more. And Urban Meyer said on Monday that Mike Weber is fine. He will play. He's healthy. But I said after the, after the game last week that if, it, if for some reason Mike Weber couldn't play, I did not think that would affect Ohio State's chances of winning at all. Because then they would just give all the carries to J.K. Dobbins. And right now, it's Dobbins 56, Weber 52.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm good with the split. I think I like Weber a little more than you do. I think they complement each other really well. And I think they had – Curtis Samuel had like a home run against them in 2016 where Weber was a lead blocker for them. I think Weber can do that for Ohio State pr- provided he's healthy this week. So I think I think they – both serve a purpose and are different enough that you should play them both somewhat evenly. If it, if it shades a little more Dobbins, I think that makes sense to me, and and certainly how the game's going dictates it. Because you made the point last week, I think that Dobbins is a little better when there's less room to run than Weber is. Weber gets strung out sometimes, um, but I like them both playing. So just uh, and and sometimes it feels like we end up talking down about a guy, and it's
0: not. It we're not. I'm not saying Mike Weber's a bad player. We're just talking about. We're comparing good players. Is this good player any more goodly than this other player? Mm -hmm. And I will just say that Mike Weber, obviously we know, had a huge game in the opener. Here are Mike Weber's last three games. Eight for 31, 18 for 64, six for 18. Here are J.K. Dobbins' last three games. 12 for 73, 18 for 121, 11 for 55. Yeah, he's been better. So that is equal carries, basically, and significantly more production from J.K. Dobbins since Mike Weber's giant game in the opener when he had some giant holes. That's all I'm
2: saying. Bryce Bumgardner sent in an email. He says, hello, could you please describe what a whiteout at Beaver Stadium is like from your perspective? Also, of all the games you've covered, what's the best example of a crowd getting to a team slash player? Um... I think 2016 Penn State and Beaver Stadium is the best example I've seen of it. Uh, like, the whole offensive line, I thought, looked yeah. really rattled by what was happening in Beaver Stadium on that night. Um, the whiteout's pretty cool. I haven't been to a lot. I've not I've I've been everywhere in the Big Ten, and, like, the best road environment I've been to, I guess, was Oklahoma, outside of the Big Ten, and High State took the crowd of the game pretty quickly there. Um, I do think you can take the crowd in Beaver Stadium out of the game pretty quickly, um, but if they're in it, it's crazy. And the beginning of the game is really loud, and the press box shakes, and it's cool as long as you're, you know, you don't think the press box is going to fall off the stadium. Um, but it, I think I think that it is legitimate. Like, every, everything everybody says about it, I think, is true.
0: I think Wisconsin's is crazier. I think the most I've ever seen a crowd maybe take a team out of the game is. 2010, when Ohio State was number one and went to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown, and it felt like it was going to be an earthquake, <laughs> and Ohio State lost that game. I think Wisconsin, when it gets going nuts, is nuttier. Um, I think Penn State, I think Beaver Stadium does live up to it. Beaver Stadium, to me, and I, and I don't – I mean this like good on both sides. I'm not saying this is a negative for anybody. But it feels like to me that Beaver Stadium is not quite as nice – as Ohio Stadium, which therefore to me gives it a greater home field advantage. Like Beaver Stadium to me feels a little bit more like a high school stadium that's gigantic. And Ohio Stadium feels a little more to me like an NFL stadium that's gigantic. And if you wanted to like rattle somebody, I'd rather rattle somebody in something that feels like a high school stadium. And, and I don't mean that negatively at all. I think Beaver Stadium, the home field at Beaver Stadium is significantly greater than at Ohio Stadium. Yeah, and and people can criticize that, but I, you know, like the whole thing, you gotta walk through the stadium under the tunnels and you feel like the
2: place is gonna collapse on you and stuff, like it's just. And like fans like line that you have to walk through what's essentially like a cage to get onto the field and fans line it and like rattle the cage and stuff, like yeah, it's, it's intense.
0: Maybe this is, I have personally never been a visiting player because I played golf and tennis in high school, Mm -hmm. but to me, it's possible that when a visiting player walks out of the tunnel and enters Ohio Stadium for the start of that game, they look up and they think, wow, this is cool. And I think maybe when a visiting player walks out to Beaver Stadium as a game is ready to start, they look up and they think, oh, my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and it is, yeah. a, it, is, it is a, perhaps a thin distinction but it feels – Beaver Stadium feels more to me like being thrown, no pun intended, to the Lions. Like you're going to – someone's waiting up there to give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down, live or die kind of thing. And Ohio Stadium feels more like, wow, it's
2: the shoe. College football is awesome. Cool.
0: I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just a misperception by me. But that's my perception of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. I, also, I think they can be oh, – both can be overwhelming for different, ways, different reasons. but
0: And I will say that the most that I've ever seen a crowd take somebody out of a game is when I sat in the left field bleachers at Wrigley Field in college, and there was a left fielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers named Billy Ashley. And I was the kind of person in college, and still am today, who when I sat in the bleachers, I screamed at the opposing players all game, all the time. And at one point, I stood up by myself in the bleachers, and I screamed at Billy Ashley, Billy Ashley! Turn around! I'm gonna take your picture. And he turned around, and I had a camera, and I took his picture, and I have this picture. And then he he turned around so I could take the picture, and then I screamed. Now I'm gonna take this photo home and burn it. You suck! Wow. And that's the kind of thing they I did in college. And I feel like I took him out of the game. I feel like in that, that moment. Gun, huh? Oh yeah. I mean, I am that. Come on. I, don't guess, pass it's not, I guess it's somewhat
2: surprising. <laughs>
0: right that's i mean what am i gonna do i wasn't a professional then i was just a kid in college now i'm a professional now i wouldn't do that
2: unless i wore a disguise and i went somewhere and nobody knew who i was (laughs) uh john uh, potock jp porkchop big ecu fan says ecu's got old dominion this week who do you like
0: oh wow how about ecu i don't know is that a is that a drop-off game for odu off the biggest winning program history or are they just gonna ride that
2: i think they're gonna ride it let me see uh East Carolina is favored by a touchdown. That's a tough spot for the Pirates. That's a tough spot for the Pirates. I like go to you in that game. Sorry, Potok, pork chop. Uh, we get a lot of questions about why isn't Dwayne Heisman? Dwayne Heisman, jeez. <laughs> why isn't Dwayne Haskins getting more national attention? Uh, I saw like five Heisman straw polls today that had him number two. I think he's getting plenty of national attention. I don't know what else people want. I mean, it's one of those things. I think sometimes, like the the intern who's working the cry on on the college like football
0: game, like didn't just didn't put him in the top five because they didn't know what the hell they're doing. Like, I like Heisman stuff too. I like. I mean, I like all this stuff. It's meaningless bullcrap. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean it's enough. When someone's like a Heisman favorite, that literally could not mean less. Especially this time of year. It's not like people are voting now. It's not like an election where people. It's like. I don't know. He's a Heisman favorite until the next game is played and what happens in the game will change everything and nothing matters until all the games are played like it. The Heisman favorite stuff matters so much less than like playoff positioning among teams, which is real. So it's just ridiculous bull crap. But we are here to tell you if Dwayne Haskins continues like this and Ohio State is in the playoff, he's going to New York. Now, maybe he has to get past Tua. Maybe two is the, the favorite at this point just because Alabama is Alabama. But if Dwayne ha- – Ohio State – here's the thing about Ohio State. Ohio State has not had someone go to New York in a very long time.
2: Troy, right? Was the last one.
0: So, like, Braxton Braxton never went, right? Braxton never went. Ezekiel Elliott never went. JT never went. Braxton and JT both finished fifth, but they weren't close enough to get the invite. They invite three to five based on how close the vote,
2: how close the vote is. Braxton and JT both finished fifth, but not close enough to get the call. Very distant fifth. Because I wrote a thing. People gave me crap for it. I wrote a thing because I just thought it was the most interesting thing you can write about it with with Ezekiel Elliott in 2015. Like he. Since Troy Smith, he is the closest an Ohio State player has come to winning the Heisman, even though I think he finished eighth in the voting that year. Just that there was no runaway winner, so he, the point, point total Zeke was closer to the winner than Ohio State player has been since Troy Smith won it. Uh, Rick Wentling que- sent in a question on Twitter about the Beaver Stadium press box. It's terrible. I don't no, like. But
0: the- they, didn't they rebuild it?
2: No, it's like part of the thing. They're renovating Beaver Stadium. I don't know if it's been approved or not. Like part of it is a press box, but it's still the old press box. Oh, it is still the old. Press it's box. very cramped. And I They're don't care. Crammed. It's like I can, if I can plug in my computer and I have internet, that's fine. Like I'm not going to complain about it, but I will complain about this one thing about the Beaver Stadium press box. There's one toilet. Yeah, one, not one bathroom, one toilet. You cannot <laughs> drop a deuce at Penn State. Definitely not. Definitely not. You can at Ohio State. You can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Book forty-eight. I'm sure, people want to know. That. Book forty-eight. You can drop a deuce at <laughs> <in> Ohio State. <laughs> All right. I think we'll make this the last question because I think we can talk about it for a little bit. People are freaking out that we're making the last question, but we have to get to interviews. It's
0: Tuesday night and we have to get the interviews.
2: Yeah. Uh, this is from Nilly 97 I think this is a, a topic on a lot of people's minds with this game. Is Penn State the one game Ohio State can't lose and still make the playoff?
0: No. 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 I- like, you don't know how it's going to work out. I think they can lose and make the playoff.
2: I picked them to lose this game and make the playoff because I picked Penn State to lose two other games. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. It... But I think I've, I saw some other stuff on Twitter today, like discussing this as a play-in game for the playoff, which I know sounds crazy because it's September. But, I mean, this game will probably decide who goes to the Big Ten Championship. I would watch Michigan. I
0: don't. I, I think Maybe, Michigan yeah.
2: is getting a lot better. And and I I,
0: I just don't uh, I, I just don't think that's true. Like it might be true, as it turns out in the end, it might be true. I just don't think it's close to true here in the moment. Yeah. If they do not win on the road at Beaver Stadium, which is like going into a lion's den and you feel like you're going to die, and Trace McSorley is a magical leprechaun, if they don't win that, and you game, don't have your best player, and you don't have your best player. If they don't win that game, I absolutely do not think Ohio State fans should walk away from that game saying like, well, that's it. No playoff for us. So that's what your question is. Your question is like right now, would you feel that? Now, it may turn out to be true depending how good Penn State is. Do they lose again? Who do they lose to? How good is Michigan? Whatever. Does Ohio State finish third in the... How good was – like all that is yeah. going to matter. But I don't think it's anywhere close to a play-in game because I think, as you said, there's – if you think the Big Ten East is good, then you think people are going to knock each other out. So then all of a sudden, if Penn State loses – I mean if, if you lose to Penn State, now Penn State has a tiebreaker over you. But if Penn State loses one more game, say Penn State loses to Michigan, then Ohio State beats Michigan, and they're all tied with one loss, now you start doing tiebreakers and you don't know how that's going to go. Yeah. So I think that's very possible. I also think that some people – I am seeing playoff predictions. I saw someone's playoff – latest playoff prediction the other day that did not, didn't have a Big Ten team in it. I think that's crazy. Hmm. Like I just – like if you think your playoff is two SEC, ACC, and Oklahoma, I think that's crazy. I think that's a – I think it's a misread on the season. Well –
2: I don't think people think Alabama and Georgia are going to lose until they play each other in the SEC championship. And then one of them has to lose, and they'll both get in. I think that's real, but I don't. So, but I also think that there's
0: something on the table. Why So here's my question: If you think Alabama and Georgia are both going to get in, why wouldn't you think that Ohio State and Penn State are both going to get in just because they're in the same division? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, like I don't. It's it's just how you. If Penn, if Penn State beats Ohio State and Penn State's undefeated, and Penn State, like, is the undefeated Big Ten champ and goes and kicks Wisconsin's butt for a second time and Penn State's in the playoff, and then you have one loss Ohio State who lost by one score at Penn State against a playoff team and then rolled through everybody else but didn't get to make the Big Ten championship, and you're sitting here and all of a sudden Ohio State, Ohio State's made it without going to the Big Ten championship game. We've seen that happen. So it depends how the rest of the season shakes out. I still think it's very possible that both the Big 12 and the Pac-12 wind up with no real true candidate. They have to have a champion. But I think it's very possible that both the Pac-12 and Big 12 champ will pale in comparison to the best teams in the ACC, SEC, and Big 10. And that opens the possibility for two to get in for the Big Ten. I am holding on to that. If you think I'm crazy, you think I'm crazy. That's fine. But we've seen before Ohio State get in when Penn State won the Big Ten. So,
2: yeah, no, I I, I don't don't know. I don't. I don't think this is an elimination game by any means. There's just so much left to to happen after because we're September 29th and this game's played. But uh, the other thing about it too, if you want to talk about playoff and who would get, like, I. The ACC is not very good. Yeah. Like the, I think the ACC is worse than the Big Ten. So Clemson is going to be in a position where it's going to be the champion of a kind of an average league. And Clemson and, just changed quarterbacks. And is that going to go
0: 100% smoothly?
2: Yeah. Like, I don't know who the second best team in the ACC is right now. Boston College just lost. Miami looks just okay. It's definitely not Florida State. Is it like North Carolina State or Syracuse? Eek.
0: The ACC stinks. Yeah. So, so again, now you're going to, but if you wind up in a discussion where, say, the discussion comes down to a one loss Clemson, because Clemson's lost some goofy games, right? They've lost a goofy game they play in a Syracuse couple years. this weekend. If Clemson's a one loss ACC champ and Ohio State's a one loss non Big Ten champ, but Ohio State has wins over Michigan State, Michigan, TCU, whatever, and Clemson hasn't beaten anybody. And Penn State's loss is a six point loss at Penn State, and Penn State's awesome. And Clemson's loss is to Syracuse. You're going to put Clemson in just because they have a, a, they're the champ of a crappy league. I don't know. I like, I would, so maybe, 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 but that does not mean you would walk out of Beaver Stadium on Saturday saying, well, that's it. We're out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Can we make one quick point before we go? Mm-hmm. I would like to discuss Ryan Day briefly. Okay. Because I feel like, there are some things trending to make Ryan Day something that he's not, and this is typically what I wind up doing. It's like I'm I'm reacting to some of the coverage of Ryan Day, and it's going to make me sound like I am a like I don't think Ryan Day is good at his, jo- at his job, and I think Ryan Day is very good at his job. But I wrote this the other day after Ari Wasserman's report. Like I had to say Ari Wasserman like he's a journalist. Oh, Ari Wasserman of The Athletic. Ari. freaking Ari, who used to be on this freaking podcast, who we eat wings with three times a week. <laughs> Ari. He's just a dude. He's just a man, just like us. But he had a good story. He had a good story that Ohio State was discussing the idea, according to a source, not going to do it, but discussing the idea of Ryan Day as coach and waiting And I just think like Ryan Day, I think a coach and waiting thing with the Urban Myers in his mid-50s, I think it's the wrong way to go. I think making Ryan Day a coach and waiting isn't really the thing that's going to keep him here. Like money keeps him here. Responsibility keeps him here. But coaching waiting is just kind of like a weird thing that hasn't worked in too many places. I don't think it's – I don't think it's what they should do. But also just generally the idea that maybe is being espoused in some quarters that like Ohio State like would be devastated if Ryan Day left, I just think is not right and that doesn't mean that Ryan Day is really good. And here's the thing where I get in trouble with this argument is that Tim Beck ruins my argument as usual. going to say that. Thanks a lot, Tim Beck, because <clears throat> I'm not making the argument that all offensive coordinators and quarterbacks coaches are created equally because Tim Beck, being terrible at his job, blows a hole in this argument. But all I'm saying is as long as you don't hire the next Tim Beck, you're fine. Now – Maybe you will, but you shouldn't. Urban Meyer should be able to hire a quarterback's coach to come run this quarterback's room and run this offense who is as good as Tom Herman and Ryan Day. Okay? And here's the thing. And here's the point I am going to make. And it's not worth writing because it just going to make me – it's going to be a headline that makes me seem like a Ryan Day hater, and I'm not. Right? Here's the point. Did Tim Beck suck at his job, Bill Landis? Yes. Tim Beck was the quarterback's coach and co-offensive coordinator here in 2015 and 2016. In 2015, Ohio State had one devastating loss, in part because of coaching, right? But were they good? Yep. They were awesome, okay? They were awesome, despite Tim Beck being bad at his job. In 2016, with a ridiculously young team, while Tim Beck was being bad at his job, what did they do? Went to the playoff. They went to the playoff with Tim Beck, Okay. Then he left. In 2017, Ryan Day, who is much better than Tim Beck, took over, right? What did Ohio State do last year? Did they make the playoff? No. No, they lost two games, inexplicably, right? They got their doors blown off at Iowa with Ryan Day on the staff, okay? So here's my point. Tim Beck sucks. Ryan Day is awesome. They made the playoff with Tim Beck in 2016 and missed it with Ryan Day in 2017. Assistant coaches are not what determines winning and losing at major college football programs. It's the head coach and the players. When Ryan Day leaves, if he leaves, as long as they don't hire the next Tim Beck, they will be fine. Also, by the way, who did they recruit at quarterback by hook or by crook almost by accident while Tim Beck was here? Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, okay? So it works out, and I just cannot sit idly by and allow people to believe that an assistant coach is what stands between success and failure for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Urban Meyer and players. The rest of the guys are middle managers. I already wrote a thing about how nobody should make a million dollars. They don't have to bribe Ryan Day to stay because you just tell Ryan Day, if you think you can go somewhere else and make more money and further your career in a better way, go ahead and leave. We'll be sad to see you go. But a million guys just like you will line up for this job. And as long as Urban Meyer doesn't screw up the hire like he did with Tim Beck, they will be fine. Tom Herman was awesome. Ryan Day is also awesome. When Ryan Day was in the NFL, he was with the San Francisco 49ers as an assistant coach right before he came to Ohio State, right? Mm -hmm. Did the 49ers win the Super Bowl that year? No. No. What did they do? I think they won two games and Chicago got fired. sucked. Even with Ryan Day, who is really good at his job. I'm not saying Ryan Day is bad. I'm saying don't overblow assistant coaches. That's all. Where some people are puffing this up, and I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know if they want Ryan Day to be their friend or whatever. It's fine. You can have that opinion. My opinion is that Ryan Day is a good quarterbacks coach, a good play caller, and a good recruiter. That can be true, and I can also think Ohio State would be fine without him. Hmm. Should I write it? I mean, what's? do I have to write that? Do I have to tell people that assistant coaches are not the key to Ohio State being a great program? With all the caveats, right? With the Tim Beck caveat, with the caveat that we said Urban Meyer lost his way at Florida when he lost the assistant coaches that he trusted and he hired a a bad round of secondary. The assistants he hired for later in his career did not help him the way Greg Madison and Charlie Strong and Dan Mullen helped him early. okay. Right? I've seen that. That's on Urban Meyer. Because I'll tell you what. They're out there. The next Ryan Day is out there. Because 24 months ago, none of you had ever heard of Ryan Day. And now if you think he is the person holding this together with bailing wire, you're drunk. It's Ohio State football and it's Urban Meyer. And I understand all the good things he's done. I'm just telling you, the next guy would do good things too, as long as he's not Tim Beck.
2: (coughs) Seems like a lot of caveats. And I don't know if people think Ryan Day is holding the program together. I just think they think he's a good coach and they don't want to lose him, which I think is a perfectly reasonable thing to feel. And I think I would disagree with you, not strongly, but slightly on the impact of assistant coaches because Ohio State lost a game at Iowa last year because his linebackers were terrible. But I I guess
0: my point is I don't think
2: that's about the assistant coaches. I think that's
0: about Urban Meyer, That that which is a weird distinction. Yeah, I, just, I just don't know. like. As long as Urban Meyer as long, as
2: long as he doesn't hire bad coaches then the coaches don't matter, I, like, I think is kind of flimsy.
0: Well, but, and, but the one thing is, is like Tim Beck, they sort of knew Tim Beck and Tom Herman knew Tim Beck. And they had like a Tim Beck connection a little bit. Like it felt like they, they knew him when they brought him in. He did, not do, like, he did not just say, I'm taking the best guy I can find no matter whether I know him or not, right? Yeah. Bill Davis is his groomsman. He's not, he didn't say, I'm going to get the best guy I can find whether I know him or not. When he hired Tom Herman, that's what he did. That's what he did. He said, I'm going to get the best guy. When they hired Alex Grinch, I mean, Alex Grinch is from Ohio, but they went out and got Alex Grinch, not because he was ever, he ever went to a picnic with Urban Meyer. Ryan Day, we know Ryan Day was a Chip Kelly guy and was a grad assistant for Ryan, for Urban Meyer at Florida, but he wasn't exactly on the Urban Meyer tree for sure, right? They had some connection. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I've never heard anybody say that Alabama is dead because an assistant coach left. Do they say that? No. Alabama changes offensive coordinators every year. Their offensive coordinator last year was a Browns reject. And he was there for a year and then took the Bills job. I don't even know who their offensive coordinator is now. I know they had the best freaking quarterback in the country, and they're beating everybody by 50. And I'll tell you what, it's not whoever the offensive coordinator is,
2: it's not because of him. I just don't think people are saying Ohio State's dead without Ryan Day. I think the two things can be separate. I think I would agree with you, they're not dead if Ryan Day leaves, but you can think that and also think that Ryan Day's really good and there's a way to keep him around here, then you should do that. But how far would you go? Not coaching waiting far. How but, about two million a year? Yeah, I don't care. Ohio State makes a ton of money. Like I can separate that from the conversation about not paying players because it just doesn't happen. Like I wish they would pay players, but in the world where they're not and you have money lying around and you want to pay to keep a good coach, I think it's okay to do it. I think they should fire all the assistant coaches and just let Urban do everything by himself. One man, yeah. One
0: unit strong. One man and a dream. One goal. One chase. One uh, ELO. Everybody love everybody. Brotherhood. Yeah. One man. 14 slogans. No coaches. <laughs> the Ohio State Buckeyes 2019. Coach. Uh, yeah, Coach. Hey, Urban. Yeah. We're just over here in the linebacker room. We're not exactly sure what we should do uh, because we don't have a coach this year. ELO! (laughs) Look at your wristband! You can send us questions at BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail, right? Is that right? Yep. Uh,
2: Is it worth doing a review? I'm assuming they're all five stars. Are we a five-star in totality now or do we drop down No, we dropped down again. Damn it! No! (sighs) No, we're four and a half. This might have changed. This isn't updated. Uh... I'm going to read a 5 star uh, from Buckeye Brem. He says love the great podcast you guys put out weekly, very informative with what's going on with the buckeyes and I think I love McCall more than you guys do. I Ooh. Don't know about that? Keep it up. Thanks. I always Hashtag wait. Haskins for Heisman. I always wait for the butt now at the end. Uh there's a 4 star. Oh, that's a good 4 star. We haven't had a 4 star, very many 4 stars. Again, you we would have been a 5, but you're you're around. For real? What since, is it, the ranting? Says I find you uh Doug on the other hand uh, he says, I really like Bill and find myself agreeing with him a lot. Doug, on the other hand, I find a bit annoying and disagree with a lot of his views. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It gives them something to talk about and they agreed on everything. There would be hardly any show, which is true, but he gave us four stars. Because is that from my wife? Maybe. Okay. Um, all right. Just delete the thing about the rant at the
0: end that everyone's going to hate. Okay. Take that part out we got to get the five-star back. I, I can want, do that. If I keep dragging this down, they're going to kick me off.
2: Somebody else is mad that you said Jonathan Taylor wasn't good. And okay. they gave us three stars. I agree with that also, that he's not good. So if you want to knock that down, the one-star, that's fine.
0: Okay. Uh, so you can tweet at BillLandis25, at Doug Maurice. And let me just deal with this very, very briefly. Um, Tim Bielek is fine. He's taking some time off. We know people have tweeted uh, that to us. Um, people have asked on In other situations, so we'll just tell you like he's employed by Cleveland.com. Sometimes people need to take a little time off from work, and it's like it's fine. Like it, I, th- I just like I don't want anyone to be worried or anyone to be like freaking out or think something's going on. It's just uh, it's just the reality of life. Sometimes he just needed a couple weeks off, and then he'll be back at Cleveland.com. So like I don't. I don't want. To, I'm not going to say anything else. But if you have expressed like what's going on, and and everybody loves Uncle Tim, like that's just the deal, and um and then so everybody can be okay with that and not be worried. Basically, is the bottom line. So that's that situation. We're going to go to interviews. Uh, write about what are you writing about tonight? You writing football? Football, football. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Um, basketball media day is Wednesday. Who knew that? Yeah. Go figure.
2: If you guys can think of any interesting things to ask basketball players, Uh, shoot them to my Twitter account. Is LaQuentin Ross on the team or no? No. Okay, then I'm out.
0: Uh, All right, he's Bill Landis. I'm Doug LaMaurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. Man, maybe someday, maybe if if I'm not here for a while, we can get back to a cumulative five-star. I think the chances of me not annoying some segment of the audience is very small, though. I don't know what could change for that to stop.
2: Uh, Yeah, I I don't like the idea of people giving lower than a five-star because you annoy them. Yeah. It seems a little petty. But, well, yeah.
0: Again, talk to my wife. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. You can read us at Cleveland.com slash OSU for Bill Landis. I'm Lay Maurice. And that was Buck I Talk.